Please pray with me. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, in our text today, we find Jesus being accused of a couple of things. One, he's crazy. He was accused of being crazy. And two, of working on behalf of Satan himself. Those are some pretty intense accusations, right? Amazingly, his own family thought he was crazy. And the scribes, not doubting the reality of his miraculous healings, they were pretty hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore someone being healed from something they had since birth or someone being brought back to life. You can't ignore it. But they didn't want to admit that he was the Messiah. So they said that the source of his power was not God, but the devil. And so Jesus responds to his naysayers in his typical way with a metaphor, something parable-like. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. And then, indeed, the house can be plundered. So Jesus is using the phrases, a kingdom divided and a house divided against itself, in several ways. The first way, he says that he uses them as proof that he is not of of the devil, because the devil cannot cast out himself. Two, if he were the devil then the fact that he is casting out demons proves that Satan's house is already doomed because his own demons are casting each other out. And three, that a house or a family or a church must be strong and united because if it's not, Satan will try to divide it and conquer and destroy the church. So today I am going to focus on that third meaning of Jesus's parable adjacent comments. The fact that if a church is divided, fighting against itself, it cannot stand. We, the body of Christ, have such an important job in this world because we are the ones charged with the job of shining a light into the darkness and revealing that darkness for what it is, evil. That light is Christ and the evil is Satan. According to our text, the God of this world is determined to destroy us. Just as Jesus came to destroy him. The strong man in the parable is Satan. And Satan's house is this world. And the one who is breaking in and tying him up is us. The body of Christ. And we're doing so in the name of Jesus. 
So Jesus said that he came to cast that evil out and to bring about the kingdom of God for all people. He literally walked through Israel, healing the sick and casting out demons in the name of God. An example of the light. Thank you, Pete. Jesus literally walked through Israel, healing the sick and casting out demons in the name of God. And the people, his people, caught up in the distractions of worldly things, turned against him and tried to undermine his ministry. So like I mentioned before, two important groups were working against Jesus here. His own family and the leaders of his own faith. The scribes were accusing him of working for Satan and not for God. And his family was listening to the scribes and other people who said he was crazy. And they attempted to restrain him to help him to avoid any embarrassment or ridicule. Now, don't you know that families do this all the time? How many times do you tell a family member or have you told a family member, don't say that in public? It's fine if you say that behind closed doors. Actually, we don't like it. But don't say it out loud. You're out there. They're going to think you're crazy or racist or stupid or fill in the blanks, right? Whatever it is. (laughs) We do everything we can to try and keep the ones we love from embarrassing themselves, don't we? Although, who are we really worried about them embarrassing? Yeah, I think we're worried about them embarrassing us. And I think that maybe that's what Jesus' family was doing too. Usually it's teenagers saying it to their parents, right? But more often than not, adult children say it, spouses say it to each other, or parents say it to their children. And we hear things come out of our family members' mouths, and all we want to do is protect him or her from themselves. And maybe protect ourselves from the embarrassment they may cause us. That's where Jesus' family was in all of this. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For the people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul by the ruler. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. Now, one of the many things that this text addresses to me is church conflict. And I think that the time to talk about this is now when things are going well. You know, when we're at each other's throats, that's not a good time to talk about this because everyone is just going to go, yeah, are you listening to her? (laughs) You know, now is the time to talk about it because we're all getting along and we all love each other right now, which is wonderful. It's better to be proactive in anticipation of future conflict, which is inevitable, than it is to try to address the conflict once it's started. And it's important that you understand, I am serious about this, I have not witnessed any of this in this congregation at all. So don't wonder who it is I'm talking to, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm talking to myself and to you to encourage us 
to continue being vigilant in our faith and unity. These things can happen to the best of churches if the members don't know what to look for or to avoid. In any group of people, no matter their purpose, dissension can fester and eventually destroy a group. And our, in the case of the church, our text tells us that someone is deliberately trying to bring us down. That is the God of this world. The one who has turned against the creator God, that evil guy known by the world as Satan. Jesus warns us that he is working tirelessly to weasel his way into the church to try and tear it down from the inside out. But how does Satan do this? How does Satan divide and conquer a church? Well, the late great disciples, preacher and scholar, Dr. Fred Craddock, said that Satan's favorite way into the church is through the choir. I think we're okay, right? But I guess when you put a bunch of talented, artsy people in one room, eventually things do get a bit dramatic. I've seen it happen over and over again. So by that assessment, since we don't have a choir right now, I think we may be a little bit safer than some churches, right? But I would say that whether you have a choir or not, there are things that we can do, that things that we can be weary of, all of us. The first thing that I want to talk about is gossip. Nothing destroys a group faster than gossip. Saying mean things behind each other's backs or worse, telling half-truths or lies to try and confuse the issues. And let me tell you what, half-truths are more dangerous than straight-out lies. They're much more difficult to unravel and to refute. Christians justify this behavior by saying things like, well, I didn't want to go directly to that person that I was upset with because I, I didn't want to rock the boat or I didn't want them to hurt their feelings. These are direct quotes that I have heard over and over again. Not here again. I've been out there. I've done things. I've seen things. Or they say, I was just confi confiding my frustrations in my trusted friend. Five times to five trusted friends who then also confided in five trusted friends. People never think about the fact that once you put that gossip out there, it can grow and fester and become a nasty boil on the face of the congregation. This is not the same thing as venting to one person, to one trusted confidant in an attempt to discover a solution to your problems. Not the same thing. This is the stuff you say without any intention of solving anything. It's just angry or nasty or mean, and it's intended to spread like a cancer, and spread it will. Once it's out there, it cannot be taken back. Triangulation is a word that therapists and pastors alike use on a regular basis to describe such a thing. It means working to pull someone to your side in an attempt to pull them away from another person's side. This happens all the time in every human system wherever you go. Wherever you encounter more than three people, you're going to find triangulation at some point. A 
We are all probably a little bit guilty of doing it in some form or fashion. Children are notorious for doing this with their parents, you know, the whole divide and conquer. Employees do it with or against their bosses. And church members, they do it when they're trying to get their way. And they can rationalize it by thinking that they just have the church's best interests in mind. For example, a woman in a church that I once served tried to triangulate me against the choir director because she was not doing a Christmas pageant that year with the children. And the woman said, we have a full-time choir director and she is not even doing a Christmas pageant with our children. At which point I replied, actually, she's only paid for 10 hours a week. They were constantly accusing her of being paid a full-time employee. 10 hours a week, that was it. And yet she is really working about 20 hours a week, so we're getting more out of her than we're paying for. So just, just point that out. And then I'm the one who said we weren't going to have a pageant this year because I was the associate minister over children and youth. Because our families were already overburdened and stressed out during the Christmas holidays, and they told me that they don't have time for all the rehearsals. Had I not understood what was happening, I could have walked away from that conversation feeling a little confused or conflicted, angry, perhaps, with the choir director, and feeling resentful that she wasn't doing her job. And it would have started to deteriorate my relationship with her. And the woman would have gained an ally in her pursuit to get what she wanted. Her grandchildren dressed up in cute costumes, singing cute songs so that she could take cute pictures to share with her friends on social media. Whether it was good for the families or not. I've also had people try to drive a wedge between me and my boss. That's fun. Whether it was my boss, the former chaplain, when I worked at Barton, or my boss, the senior pastor at my last church. Under the guise of complimenting me, they were actually trying to divide and destroy. You're doing such an amazing job as the chaplain, they would say. Really, we haven't had a chaplain actually do something in years. And of course, this person who apparently didn't do anything for years was now my boss, right? I was too young and too green to really understand what was happening there. And I thought that I, though I was extremely uncomfortable with the position that people were putting me in, I also allowed it to go to my head. And I started believing deep down somewhere that I was better than he was. And it ultimately ruined our relationship. Another time I heard, you know that sermon you preached today? It was just amazing. And then they'd whisper to me, you're a way better preacher than the other person, than the senior pastor. I wish you were the one preaching every Sunday instead of him. Luckily, by this time, I was a little wiser, and I understood the full danger of the situation. And so I replied, well... Of course my sermons might seem better. You only get to hear me once a month, and you hear him every week. Plus, he writes a sermon a week, and I write one sermon a month. So I think that's really amazing of him, don't you? There are ways to get out of triangulation, back out of it, without contributing to the toxicity. 
without making it worse. And very often people have either lied or stretched the truth or simply complained about something that I have done without coming to me first. For example, I've had people go to the regional minister and try to hurt my working relationship with them or to hurt my reputation in the region. One time the person twisted the truth to make it look like I was irresponsible. And then they tried to take my regional position away from me. In other words, she's not doing a good job. I think you should give that job to me. In that case, they succeeded in turning the regional minister against me because they didn't know me very well yet. And that was another region in another time, by the way. But the second time that it happened, they told the truth about what happened, but they made up the reason why I did what I did and tried to make it sound like I was deliberately sabotaging them, which is something that I would never do to anyone. But their intention was to drive a wedge between me and the regional minister while also setting themselves up to play the victim. Thankfully, in that instance, the regional minister was wise in the ways of triangulation and did not fall for it. And then also came to me to tell me, close the gap of the triangulation, right? The point is, things happen in churches with good Christian people all the time. Because these, all these people that did these things were good Christian people. And I don't mean that facetiously. I'm serious. I love every one of them. They are good people. But they got lost for a minute. But we do not have to allow any of that to divide and conquer us if we don't want to. The first thing is that we have to pray regularly daily, asking God to keep us wise, to keep us from falling into the evil trap of believing that I am better or smarter or more deserving than anyone else in the church, and asking God to be wise in the way of manipulation, triangulation, and other kinds of unhealthy things that people try to do. The second thing that we do is we ask ourselves, what is the thing what is the best course of action to promote unity in our congregation? What is the best possible way to handle this situation? And you know what? If you don't know the best possible way, you pray about it. God will give you the answer. God will lead you to the right thing to do, to the best course of action. Very often what happens is your ego will come into play. Your feelings are hurt because of something that's been said, or your feelings are hurt on behalf of someone else, or your feelings are hurt on behalf of the church, and how dare that person have done that to this church, and I'm going to do something about it, by goodness, right? Our egos get in the way, and so we pray for humility in the face of gossip and in the face of trial. The best possible way is always to work together to find common ground and positive solutions to any bad feelings, conflicts, or differences of opinion. The best thing you can do is to try to get to the truth of a scenario before making knee-jerk, emotionally-based reactions. And I think that we can all say that emotionally-based reactions has gotten our entire country where it is right now. It can certainly do it to a small congregation. 
The best thing that we can do is to lead with love and giving people the benefit of the doubt rather than judgment or anger. The ultimate goal is to keep the body of Christ strong and working well together. Robert Roberts writes about a fourth grade class in which the teacher introduced a game called the balloon stomp. I think maybe we may have all played this at camp or something like that. A balloon is tied around the ankle of, of every, around every child's ankle, and the object of the game was to pop everyone's balloon while protecting your own. And the last person with an intact balloon would win the game. The concept was, if I win, then you lose, actually, right? So the nine-year-olds entered into the spirit of things vigorously. When the battle was over, in a matter of seconds, only one balloon was still inflated, and of course, its owner was the most disliked kid in the room for about three seconds. A second class came later that day, and they were asked to play the same game. Only this time, the class was filled with developmentally disabled children. And the balloon stomp proceeded quite differently. When the instructions were given, it seemed that the only idea they grasped was that the balloons were supposed to be popped. But instead of fighting each other off, the children got the idea that they were supposed to help one another pop balloons. They formed a kind of balloon stomp co-op. And one little girl knelt down and held her balloon carefully in place, like the holder for a field goal kicker, while a little boy stomped it flat and then knelt down and held his balloon for her to stomp. And on and on it went, all of the children helping one another in the great stomp. And when the very last balloon was popped, everybody cheered, and everybody won. The question that you have to ask is this. Who got the game right, and who got it wrong? Jesus said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house divided against itself is divided against that cell itself, that house will not be able to stand. We are not in this to win or to lose. That is not what church is about. That is not what Christianity is about. This thing that we're doing, this church, this body of Christ, it is not about us at all. It's about promoting the love of Jesus in the world. It's not about getting our way, or winning an argument, or being right. Even if you think your way is better for the church than everyone else's way, that's not what it's about. It's about staying strong together, working together, so that we can go out into the world as a unified front, ready to take on whatever the devil tries to throw at us, And when we're able to do that, when we're able to work together every single time, in the end, everyone will cheer and everyone will win. Amen? Amen. Amen.